You're listening to the Brand Builders Podcast with your hosts, Scott Dunstan and Brian Young. Welcome to another episode of the award-winning Brand Builders Podcast powered by the Dunstan Group. My name is Brian Young, and we are here with the president of the Dunstan Group, Scott Dunstan. And we have a friend, Cass Ward from Nexagy. Nexagy, I'm already messing it up right off the bat. <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about what this organization is all about and, and what does it mean to grow a business? Now, when you grow a business, it's great. It's kind of like having a baby. Just had one. It's awesome. It's fun. It's challenging. Uh, could be a little messy. A lot of complexity around it specifically as it grows. But how do you parent this growing challenge? Well, sometimes you need a little help. Call it support, relief, maybe even bringing in grandpa to take over for the weekend because she's more experienced at all of this than you. This is coming. This is like my my life right now. Anyways, um, and, and that's what our next guest does, but does it for business. And so I love that analogy, but let's talk a little bit about what this group does. Now, Cass is a teacher, author, consultant for entrepreneurs who need to pull all of their threads together to make a stronger fabric out of their business. He is an experienced consultant you will bring in when you need to step back and reorganize. He's also a professor at Queen's University, and he's a consulting partner right here, which is what we're going to talk about. So I'm so excited to bring you on the podcast, learn a little bit more about your background, and ultimately, how can we connect the dots? How can we help some growing businesses in the Charlotte area? And how can we you know, get Cass involved in supporting your organization? So thank you, Cass, and welcome to the Brand Builders Podcast. Well, thank you very much for having me. Thank you, Cass. Good to see you, my man. And uh, so Brian mentioned a little bit, but uh, tell us a little bit about your background. You have three undergraduate degrees from UNC Charlotte and an MBA from Queens. And so we we know you enjoy school, uh, but you are also from Charlotte originally. I think that's correct. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and sort of how how it led to where you are today. So I'm as native Charlottean as it gets. I moved here from Detroit when I was 11. So for the most part, that's as native as it gets <laughs> for right. the Charlotte area. So um, you, you mentioned I had you know three undergraduate degrees and a master's degree. And uh, it really, the reason I, I got those degrees, it's the same issue I had then that I have now, which is I'm not quite sure what I want to be when I grow up. So I'm still every day trying to figure out what those pieces are. Oddly enough, the, the two things that I got my undergrad that I really enjoyed is I loved accounting. I loved the system. I loved the rules. I loved the discipline of it. But I also got an English degree. And I really loved trying to take a point and make it as clear and concise as possible. Say is say the most amount of things I need to with as little words as possible. So oddly enough, the you know the English people rejected me because I was a business major. The business people rejected me because I was a liberal <laughs> liberal <laughs> arts major. But I kind of found my way right there in the middle. From there, I went in. I, I spent a few years working with the banks, and ended up working as a. Um, uh, CFO for a struggling construction engineering group. And I was young. I honestly, I was probably too young to get the job to, to run this company. But one reason I found I got out, got it while I was so young is they were a couple months away from going bankrupt. <laughs> I worked with the management team. We actually found a way to spend 12 months to get them to break even. And after that, we grew it to a million to 2 million. And over the course of six to seven years, we got it to be about a $25 million a year wow. company. And I learned a lot, number one, from great mentors, from great management partners. And I learned a lot from making 
lots and lots of mistakes. And a lot of the mistakes I made were all mine to own. And I, I, it took me probably five, maybe even 10 years to figure this out. But I was always leaned on for my accounting background. Do the accounting, do the books for us, you know, help us make a decision. Should we buy this? Should we invest in this? And that was the easy part. I followed the rules. I followed everything that I learned in school, what the textbooks say, what the, the professional journals say. And I, I kept it up one after another, after another. And I would come to my group and I would present the numbers. The news wasn't always good. That meant the numbers were wrong. And I was like, but, but they're not. And I would start defending the numbers. I go back, I, I'd eventually, you know, give in, say this is not working. I would jump back out, rework the numbers. The numbers didn't change, take them, and they were wrong. And it took me and my confidence and from probably for years for me to, to get mature enough to say, what are you wanting to see? So for instance, in construction, this happens so often. Um, we, we bill out a job for $50,000. It costs us $40,000. We make $10,000, profitable job. Um, I did that one job. I made $10,000. Why are you telling me I lost $30,000 this month? Well, you had $40,000 of expenses just to run your company that had nothing to do with that job. And trying to walk through the process of, of communicating the numbers, I really found that the in-between wasn't how good I was at accounting or what the accounting rules were. The rules were the rules, but it was how to communicate those rules and try to figure out what the end goal was. I mean, really, business owners are like, I'll look at my net income and that tells me if I've won or lost this month. But winning or losing is not what this game is about. <laughs> it's about being in it for the long term. And you know, sometimes we have to take losses to get to the next level, um, to make those investments. So I found myself building a career out of not being a great accountant, but communicating that information and helping them relate that to how can we make decisions based on accounting information. That's interesting. So I want to learn more about exactly what you do. So we have a lot of business owners. We have people that will be listening to this podcast. How can your organization support that? But ultimately, what do you do when, when we're thinking about what is the target client, the target industry? What are those people? What are they going through? And how can your organization support that? So as far as the demographic of the companies I work with, I mostly work with companies that are between 1 million to 25 million in revenue. I love to do some work with startup companies, but with startup companies, they're not always, you know, they don't have the resources to invest in, you know, outside leadership. And I've worked with companies up to $75 million, but I really love that growing stage company where they're trying to get from 1 million to 2 million or 2 million to 5 million, because it really is looking at how you're going to build that company. And a lot of the companies I go into, I treat the companies like a machine. Let's build a machine that we can put the input resources in and it, it you know, uh, gives us the output of revenue generating material, whether it's billable hours for attorneys, you know, or accountants or consulting, or whether it's a manufacturing company. So that's kind of the area I, I is revenue size. Industry-wide, I have worked nonprofits. I've worked with manufacturing, construction, engineering. I mean, honestly, there's very few industries I haven't worked with. One of the few that I haven't worked with is restaurants. <laughs> um, 
but um, working in those spaces, uh, what people don't realize, and a lot of consultants, especially accountants, sell themselves short, is they think that if I'm an accountant, I have to be the best at accounting for farming subsidies of grain. <laughs> and they're great at that. They can do that all day, but they don't know how to run a company. And what I come in as I bring in a perspective of not just accounting, but how to connect the dots from accounting that will feed operations, that will feed marketing, that will feed uh, sales. One of the biggest pieces where I spend a lot of time is strategy and operations. Looking at the company as a whole, and if, if I were to grade myself for one of the, the best parts that I can bring to a company is that third party objective. Uh, a, a viewpoint that they can't see because they're in the middle of it. And I'm sure you all have friends. We all have friends that are business owners that can complain about their, you know, I need to do something in my, my manufacturing area because everything's slow, everything clogs up at station B. Well, they'll complain about that for five or 10 years until somebody says, why don't you do something about station B? And they're like, yeah, we should really do something about that. And then starting to unpeel on how it feeds all the other parts. That's where I kind of come in with a process and flow based on accounting, based on just system and process orientation to figure out how do we build the most efficient machine we can that, that meets our, aligns with our goals and our strategy of the firm. If that makes sense. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. I, uh, I think that's so cool. Like, Give us an example of, of how you've brought someone out of, you, you mentioned earlier a short story of, of how you came in and the company was two months away from bankruptcy. Tell us some of the moves you made there for that company to get it profitable and, and in turn grow it to the revenues you mentioned. So great example. This is something that comes up over and over again is people know how to generate revenue. And sometimes that's the greatest part about a business is a salesperson or uh, can start a company because they can generate revenue, but they really don't know what it takes to run their company. So as I mentioned with the construction example, their products have margin in them, you know, whether they're manufacturing, whether they're uh, construction, I, it costs me $5 to make a t-shirt. I sell it for 25. My margin right there is $20. The problem is, is they never do the analysis of how many shirts, how many construction projects they need to just offset their overhead. They never take the time to learn what their costs are if no revenue comes in at all. And sometimes they muddle those variable costs with the fixed costs. So if you're a construction company and you have a whole construction crew, if your revenue goes up and you get more and more work, obviously your construction you know, labor is going to go up as well because you're going to need more people, more hours. However, your marketing, your accounting, your, uh, you know, admin staff, that's going to stay the same to a certain level. You know, there's always a incremental growth when you hit certain stages. But identifying those fixed and variable costs and what should be driving your business uh, is always the first step. And sometimes it's the easiest just doing a break-even analysis. How much revenue do we need to do to keep the doors open? With the construction company, that's all I did. If we're not doing $750,000 a year at a 25% margin per project, we can't afford to keep this company open. Well, what should we do? Should we change our accounting system? Should we change our IT systems? I'm like, 
no, we should go get construction jobs. <laughs> right. And, and, and this is the biggest issue we're seeing during COVID right now is so many people are like, oh, COVID, it's so hard. Uh, you know, I'm going to lay off a bunch of my staff. I had one client going to lay off one third of their workforce. It's like, wow, how bad was your revenue hit? They're like, not at all. I'm like, well, how are you going to fulfill the projects you have? And they're like, I don't know, but I just don't want to have this high payroll. I was like, if you don't have this high payroll, you can't fulfill that revenue. Do you really want to have a you know self-fulfilling prophecy that your business shrinks? They actually, so we started that analysis of what are the number of people we need to meet the orders on hand. They're actually starting to grow 10 to 18% month after month during COVID when they actually were preparing to, you know. Doomsday. <laughs> wow. Yeah, 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 doomsday. And, and here's the thing. Everybody, you know, we like to say companies waste a lot of money. We like to say my company wastes a lot of money. Your company wastes a lot of money. Personally, we blow a lot of money at home, you know, uh, that we, you know, I buy too many Oreos that, uh, you know, they usually do, you know, it, it, I could do with a little bit less. But everybody thinks they're going to, you know, cost cut themselves out of success. That's, it, it, there's, you know, you can make a little bit more money about this, but this right now, especially during these times, it's about survival and growth, not, you know, cutting corners. So, the companies I've been working with right now that are seeing more success during COVID are the ones that are, have said it's going down. Uh, the economy is going down. Activity is going down. We need to, you know, cast a wider net. They immediately went to their marketing partners and said, up all of our advertising, go outside of the Charlotte area. We want to keep the people we have busy. And for those that saw diminishing work in Charlotte, they saw their network expand and now they're doing work outside of Raleigh and other areas. Um, they, uh, they're finding new types of partners and clients. I do have some clients and, and past clients I keep in touch with that they're, they're saying, well, business is down 12%. So now let's do all of these other projects that are not in their wheelhouse, you know, we now have product B because we normally didn't do it because we didn't make any money on it, but we're going to do it now. Well, current conditions don't mean you're making money on it now. Now you're losing money just for the sake <laughs> of having more business and sitting down and having those discussions on what we're trying to accomplish and how we're going about it is the biggest piece of the conversations that need to be taking place right now. Yeah. And I'm curious, have they thought about the cost? it takes to rehire and retrain if the team they let go was, you, you know, goes and finds a different job and is no longer available to come back off of that uh, furlough that they're calling it, you know? Exactly. So number one, now they, the, the people they've invested money with are gone. But I will tell you, here is a great example where I've seen several companies that they're using COVID as an ex is a uh, as an excuse, but now that they're going through the work to see how to build value throughout their company, they are asking themselves the question, you know, the question from every business book, from good to great to traction to three million others, are the right people in the right seat? Mm -hmm. And they're now saying, oh my gosh, this person we were paying, you know, in IT really only has three hours of work a week, and we've been paying them. $50,000, we could, you know, 
we just didn't want to address it before, but now it's important. I would rather spend that salary on another salesperson or on another producer or another, you know, somebody who's going to generate revenue coming into their business. So they're using it as an excuse, but the, the people that are uh, just trying to cut costs to get through it are, um, they're going to, when, when things start to rebound, they're going to be ill-prepared. And there is this feeling like, oh, it's COVID. Where are they going to go? Are they going to go find another job? Well, that's a huge gamble. Sure it's it is. It's a really big gamble. And here, the other big gamble is I have some clients that like, our number one goal is to not let one person be laid off. Uh, no, that's never the goal. The goal is to make sure the company survives. You can not lay everyone off until the company's gone and then everybody goes at once. But you need to find the resources and staffing that you need to fulfill your current goal, mission, and strategy. I got a question. So they always have the saying, not all, or all, all business isn't good business, right? Uh, I feel uh, like, you know, in, in COVID specifically, it might be an era where some people maybe would go out on a limb and be like, well, you know, normally we wouldn't work with this company, but we need everything that we can get. And maybe the margins are lower and the opportunity, you know, all of these things that could come into play. What advice are you giving to, to clients that say, listen, we might be in a different era. You might need to think differently on the approach, but ultimately you need to stay true to your core. You need to make sure you're still partnering with like-minded companies or companies that will be and understand the value that you provide as well. And not just decide, oh my gosh, we, we're, we're hit with so many things. We got to go out and get all this different business. And I see there's a lot of people that I hate using the word, um, what is it? Uh, um, desperate, but I feel like there's a lot yeah, of people that no, are that, out there right now. Yeah. There's a lot of desperation out there. And here's what I got to say, rightfully so. Right. So, um, once a strategy is in place, I, I feel that any company should treat that like their religion. Like this is how we make money. This is what we do. And this is what we don't do. But even in the best of times, there are always exceptions. There's always exceptions and a need for flexibility. So to the question you're asking is when you need to step outside of that for a project here or there, that's not wrong. So here's the thing, you know, Scott brings us project C that is not in our normal scope of work, but it is something that we could do. It would, it would be a means to the end, but let's treat it as the exception. Why am I going to work with Scott right now? Well, I'm going to work with Scott because I can fix his problem. It's probably, you know, number four of the best five things we do, but we can do it. We can help Scott. We can provide value. So Scott would say good things about us at the end of the day. We don't want to build it on our financial model, but build those expectations on why you take those projects. And the thing is, if, if Scott's project C is an exception that we can make successful and we do it again and again, we may find opportunities to go down that road or have a different division of our company to look at projects like that. But everybody makes absolute decisions. I always do this now. I'm all about project C's. Find me as many Scots as you can. <laughs> and it's like, no, let's just do this one and see how it goes. I see this a lot with real estate people, mm -hmm. um, developers especially it's not like let's test out this area with one project you know one house here or there it's like i need 20 houses because i now flip them and turn them and you know, it's like you've never done this once you know go one at a time and you, what you find is people get very heavy whether it's you know individuals or businesses they get heavily heavily 
leverage against themselves. And whether that's with their labor hours, whether that's with the you know amount of dollars that they're committing to projects that they're paying for fixed or, uh, for uh, materials, um, changes in production, don't go all in. If you're going to go do the exception, do one exception at a time until you have a model for the exception. Very cool. Yeah, I love that. I want to go in. Great advice. Yeah, I want to. I want to jump into you know how you guys market your business, and um, we've had a lot of conversation as far as content. Have a lot of conversation with people. You know what are you providing? And uh, and it was it was funny. We had a, a, a recent guest who discussed in in the nineties. It was all about walking into a meeting and making sure that you hold your candy tight to your chest, right? You don't want to drop the candy jar and shatter it on the floor and give all your your secret sauce, you know, too early. And he, and he mentioned that that's completely flipped now. Now it's, you need to be confident in, in providing, um, you know, content that can provide a, a resource that can, can challenge people, but ultimately can educate them because once you educate them, then there's a reason for them to call you because they now understand what you can do to provide that. You guys have done an amazing job through YouTube. You have over 210 episodes on influencing entrepreneurs, youtube dot or slash Nexigy education. And then you posted an amazing video on Facebook, which was hilarious. Um, and it was all about eight video conferencing all-stars, basically all of us on Zoom calls. And it was really funny. And that kind of got me thinking, you know, the way that you guys market, it's it's great content, it's, it's challenging, but you also throw some humor in that. So I would love to know a little bit about that Facebook post. And then what is your company culture? How do you guys utilize the content? But ultimately, like, like how does that play a key role in who you are? Okay, so um, with the the, the let, let's go back to your last guest uh, that was talking about um, keeping your secrets close to your your vest. Um, the current practice of business is hundreds of years old. Nobody has any secrets. <laughs> I am not, and I got to tell you, accountant, especially accountants, but I will tell any consultant out there. They love to pat themselves on the back that like, I know how to fix this problem. Um, you know, I can't tell you, if, you know, um, if any of you guys hired me to come into your company, I'm not going to come in and say, guess what? You know, here's what the real accounting formula is. This is really how you find <laughs> income. I have no special secrets. I have processes. I've been through the routine. So, you know, I, I've gone through it over and over. That's experience. Sometimes people don't value experience and that's fine. But there's not one person I won't meet to say, these are the exact steps that I'm going to do to meet the goal we're, you know, we're hoping to accomplish. Gotcha. I can never guarantee success, but I can guarantee you we're going to get closer to that goal because we're going to learn more along the way. The big pieces is how we love to discount. Well, I could just do that myself. I do it all the time. Why would I hire a, a contractor to, to do my kitchen? You know, um, I can tile, I can lay hardwoods, I could put in the cabinets. I could, it would probably, you know, he'd do it in a week. It would take me three or four months. Um, it would eat up every weekend, every evening. Um, at, at the time that I'm, you know, the amount of money I'm saving, I probably could have earned 10 times that by just going to work, you know? And what happens is a lot of these people, if you tell them everything that you're going to do, um, I tell them, go do it. If you can do this without me or any other professional, I, you shouldn't hire them. Mm -hmm. The problem is they don't. Yep. And the example I love is a website. I, you know, five years ago, I wanted a website. 
to get something for a company my size that was going to be $2,000. I was like, $2,000? I'll go to Wix and Squarespace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I worked on it a couple hours every week for two years to make the worst possible website you've ever seen. <laughs> I, could, I could have won an award for how bad this website was. <laughs> That's I hilarious. Spent, yeah, I spent the money. I, I was like, oh, I'm just going to give them the 2000 so I don't have to worry about it. And I really, I got to be honest, I still was mad about it. Like, as soon as I saw the website, my first question was like, why the hell did I not do this two years ago? Well, whether it's websites, whether it's general contracting, the same thing happens within your business. Like, I've got this problem in operations or with my strategy or within accounting that is driving me nuts. I don't know how much cash I have. I don't know if we're making money in operations. I don't know if our marketing is working. I'll lay out the steps that, that, that I would do to, to find it, but people still have that same attitude. Well, we'll try to figure it out on our own and we'll call. And I got to tell you, probably 90% of the people I meet that do it on their own call me within 12 months. And I have, I, you know, I end up going, they're like, we tried, but we didn't, you know, keep having meetings about it and nobody took ownership of it. And that's the other piece is sometimes the reason it's a problem is nobody's owning. It's, you know, so I go in, I own the problem until they're, they're at least the source of the problem is identified or solution is identified. And that takes, you know, that's half of the work. That's- so, so that r- real quick, going back to the secrets that I have, as far as a culture and funny videos and all that, um, without, you know, uh, where I've learned the majority of everything I know right now is from other people. You know, I have very little knowledge that I've generated by myself, but talking to business owners, talking to people who sold companies, who failed companies, who are in the middle of growing them, I've learned more from them that I'd rather people learn from those experiences. And when I talk about, you know, the cost of building a website or the cost of hiring the next person, I would hope somebody else would take that and say, hey, I heard this, this crazy guy on a podcast, but we really need to take a look at what each sales rep is costing us versus what they're bringing in or how much every product is going out. So I love to share that education. And at the same time, sometimes I, I get a little crazy and we, we make a Zoom YouTube uh, parody. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah, yeah. but it also... it. it it makes you a leader. It makes you uh, be well-respected. It, it gives people trust in what you're doing. But, you, you know, if they're not going to do it themselves, at least they know that you could do it and you're the professional there and uh, you could help yeah. them if needed. And you mentioned just speaking with leaders in the community and business owners and those who have sold companies. Um, on your fa- uh, Instagram page, you were filming for the second season of Influencing Entrepreneurs. And you began that with Hugh McCall, who, who yes. was, you know, one of the best leaders around that we all know who he is with Bank of America and so on. What would you say you learned most in speaking with him and your time with him from a leadership well, pers- perspective or, or business perspective? I, here's the thing. Sometimes we all have the answers deep inside of us, but we don't know how to articulate them or we don't know what makes us tick. And I've spent the last several years thinking about like, what do I want my clients to say about me? What do people need, you know, 
the best? What do they need that is very valuable and that they'll say, I got the best thing out of that resource and, you know, me being that resource. And I, I, you know, I've tried everything from, you know, when I'm selling myself to say, hey, I, I like to work with business owners so they work less and make more money. But it does, it sounds so salesy. And I have clients that say that about me. But talking to Hugh McCall about what he started his career uh, doing to the way he is, you know, uh, serving as a, a community leader, he, he says it clear and simple on the, on the episode. The reason I rose was I was able to make a decision. That's all it was. And even in my early 20s, an entire room of, you know, 30, 40, 50 year old bankers would look at him and like, well, what are we going to do? And he's like, I just made a decision and it hit me. I was like, I thought about every single client I've worked with where I've built financial models. I've built pricing models. I've built strategies to say, if you do this, you'll make X amount of money. This will be your return. This will be the new markets you'll be in. I got to admit, there are clients that uh, they won't make any decision at all. And early in my career, I would just say, here's your options. And just being able to say, you know, whether it's the companies I own, I like to make a decision. I'll say, you know what, we're going to do this. And based on everything we know, the worst thing that happens is we lose $50,000 on this project. If it does work, we'll make $112,000. And now we'll have new opportunities in these other areas. And making the decision to do that. And here's the other thing. I like to make a decision to say, I'm okay with failing at this. I've made millions of mistakes and I'm 10 times better for every single one of those mistakes. So making a decision is so important. I, I have a couple clients right now that I've gone through these exercises and they want me to tell them what to do. And I will do that. But here's the other thing. If I give you the solution and the decision, it's got to be seen through. Somebody's got to own that. I've sat down with owners and I, I put in a system that would save a company $150,000 in expense reimbursements throughout the entire nation. And one of their employees was like, yeah, I don't want to fill my expense reports out every week. I'd rather just use the credit card, company credit card for what I want. And the manager of that company was like, yeah, I don't want to have those kind of hard decisions. And I was like, for $150,000 a year, <laughs> you don't, you know, you don't want to tell company, your, your employees to not use the company credit card for personal things. And they let it go. And they, they chose to do nothing. And it was one, and here's, you know, I've heard other consultants say, well, what I'll do is I'll implement that, but I get a percentage of whatever I save the company. Here's the hard part. Without good leadership backing you on making those decisions and implementing those type of policies, there's no way to success, you know? Right. So somebody has to make the decision. Somebody has to own the decision and see it through. I, I'm baffled that uh, somebody literally can be like, I'm not filling out an expense report. I just want to use the company credit card. Are you kidding me? <laughs> My good I, God. I'm, I'm be honest. I can't tell you how many companies I see that. Really? That's wild. That's, yes. that's wild. Well, and I've never worked. Tighten up, people. Tighten up. Tighten up. Company credit card. I, I bet they're looking I at it now. Oh, I bet. Yeah, I bet you. <laughs> so, Billy, $75. Like, yeah, just, 
lunch by yourself exactly huh? like what in the world yeah that's wild and, and honestly like i look at it i mean that's kind of a culture thing as well like we when when, uh, when we talk about the or the dunson group we're always trying to act with that entrepreneurial spirit i wouldn't take the company credit card and just be like well you know what uh, hey throw on a lobster on there too just because right. i i'm worried about the bottom line like i know my actions can directly affect what our company is doing that's just that's fascinating um, in, a, in not a fascinating way, I suppose. But anyways, that's really interesting. Um, you know, Cass, what is the best way for people to get in touch with you? We have a lot of business owners and leaders that are listening to the podcast, and we would love to be able to, to connect the dots. So what's the best way for our viewers or our listeners, excuse me, to get in contact with you? Well, honestly, the best way to find me, whether you're looking for CFO, a fractional CFO, um, if you're looking for my book, for my web series, is just to go to casmerward.com, C-A-S-S-M-E-R-W-A-R-D.com. Awesome, man. Well, we um, we really appreciate you joining us on this episode of the Brand Builders Podcast. If you are listening, like, share, comment, go check them out. Their website's awesome. Go check out their YouTube channel as well. Has a lot of amazing content there. Uh, you can learn a little bit more about what uh, Nexigy is all about. And I uh, really just want to thank you, Cass, for, for what you've done for the businesses in our community, uh, for the way that you lead, the way that you challenge others, the way that you add humor you know, to the equation, but ultimately how you care and you, and you don't um, you know, mind having those tough conversations because ultimately you want to be able to, to support the organizations and, and, uh, and make the city and this community a better place. So thank you so much. There's, there's, you know, honestly, I, we have a lot of amazing people that come on the podcast and I always tell them this, it's a, it's a pleasure to have you a, a, as a part of our community uh, and being a leader in this community. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you for inviting me to be a part of the community. Thank you, Cass. That was awesome. Love it. Um, until next time, uh, this is Scott and Brian on the Brand Builders Podcast. been listening to the brand builders podcast brought to you by the dunston group with your host scott dunston and brian young for branded merchandise and apparel that makes first impressions and ones that last check out the dunston group at dunstongroup.com <laughs>